Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Battles, a strength and conditioning coach and the founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism. The Practice Brave Podcast brings you the relatable, trustworthy, and transparent health and fitness information you're looking for when it comes to coaching, being coached, and transitioning through the variables of motherhood and womanhood. If you're a pregnant or postpartum athlete or a coach working with this population, this show is specifically designed for you. All right, let's get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Practice Brave Podcast. Today, I am here with Jordan Lips, and we are going to be talking about the five actually healthy ways to change your body composition. So Jordan, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Excited. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Yeah. I'm a, you know, a longtime personal trainer. That's what I did directly coming out of college, turned gym owner for a little bit, which I hated, and then turned one-on-one online coach, which I do for you know, a wide range of like clinical and aesthetic purposes, depending on what goals you have. And that's always been what I enjoyed the most. I think what I hated about being a gym owner was the lack of actually working together with the people. I was doing a lot more like clerical work, a lot more like managerial role and and I just secretary stuff. And I was like, you know, I'm missing working one-on-one together with people. And so like pre-pandemic, although it sounds like a savvy business move, it was really just like a heart I needed to to move on. And so I uh, sold my portion of that business, moved into just solely doing online coaching. And for the longest time, I guess the longest time since that point, which just, it feels like the longest time ago, but might exactly. not actually. I had to ask the other day, I was like, did this happen pre-pandemic or the second pandemic? I have no sense of time since that happened. It feels like an eternity. And so since that point, I've been solely online, one-on-one coaching. And very recently in the next month, I'll be launching a group programming service. So no nutrition, just like if you're looking for hypertrophy style programming, that's like intelligently designed, but also with like all the, you know, everything written out for you, reps and sets and weight and all that stuff with like a, a cool group community aspect that'll be coming out in October. So those two things, are what I'm doing right now, very, very much enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. Congratulations. I love that you said intelligently designed. <laughs> if I do say so myself, yeah, well, like I mean, a douche. <laughs> it, no, it's like, it, I feel like we have to be clear with that these days because we see so much stuff just thrown out there that just, it's just so random. Like almost like anyone can be a coach. Anyone can put a program out there. So I love that you're bringing a lot of value to the table. You guys will be sure to link that in the show notes and make sure you're following Jordan on Instagram too, because he puts out a lot of solid, solid content for intelligent programming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. So with your experience working one-on-one with people, both online and then obviously as a personal trainer, owning a gym, what are some of the misconceptions that you have seen a lot throughout the course of your career when it comes to body composition or just wanting to be healthier across the board? Yeah, I would say less of a misconception, more of like a misprioritization, like a, the shift in of like your value hierarchy. I think before you seek like any sort of like body composition change, like having some of those foundational habits probably should precede that. And we had kind of talked about the the topics might be like, okay, if we do want to change body composition, what are some of the actual healthy ways to go about doing that? And the one that immediately jumped out to me was like, spend a longer time, not in a deficit, like start to create your best life at maintenance first. Because if you can't do that, then not only it doesn't matter how successful you'll be in your deficit, it won't, it will be for naught, you know, you will have no like home based foundational habits to come back to. And so I think the first thing I would have said was like a a misunderstanding of like, well, if I want to change my body composition, then I need to do this diet or I need to do it. You probably need to get your act together at maintenance and be able to establish that and do that for a long period of time. 
if you can't do that, then okay, I don't care how successful you are in eight to 12 week cut of how rigid, you know, you're going to celebrate how rigid you can be for, for 12 weeks. That's, that's cool. And in terms of like being actually like losing weight, but okay, you have to do that. But in terms of long-term and this also body composition changes, sure, but also just like long-term living your best life, it's, uh, probably spending longer time out of a deficit, establishing the fact that you can do maintenance first. Yeah. So can you explain to us, like, what do you feel maintenance means for the majority of the population? Because I think a lot of people do get desperate, like, oh, I'm going to go on this diet. I'm going to be paleo or keto or do this 21 day, whatever. So what does, how do you figure out what maintenance actually is for you? Yeah, you can physiologically, we can answer that. And we can also answer like, what does that look like from 3000 feet looking at somebody's life? Obviously, physiologically is like you eating maintenance calories on average an amount of food that's going to you know keep you fluctuating within a couple of pounds, not trending upward or trending downward over time. Um, but it, it probably, I care more about what it says, like, like, uh, like phenotypically, like what it looks like for the person's life. And usually what that looks like is getting to a place where you're not freaking out about scale fluctuations, where you're feeling satiated on a regular basis, where you're not having super high food focus or super high food anxiety about going out where you're living overall your best life, which probably doesn't involve like obsessing over food 24 seven and feeling starving 24 seven and being nervous about going to your brother's barbecue. And what that life looks like to me is more important. Yes. They feed into one another. If you're physiologically at maintenance, chances are hormonally. And then a lot of that relationship with food stuff is going to be in a better place. So they definitely work back and forth. But to me, maintenance, I'll always be very excited for a client who's been maybe typically bouncing back and forth or always has that switch flipped in fat loss mode, whether or not they're losing fat, they're always in there mentally where they're like, I'm trying to lose weight and less is more, less is better, lower is better. And getting them to a point where they're actually like eating enough food where they, I, I joke because I don't mean this specifically, but I'll, I'll have a client's like, actually, I, I'm like forgetting to eat sometimes. Now I don't want that for anybody. Like, it's not like a, that's not a goal, but like, if you, if you're laughing, you're like, I would never forget to eat ever because it's the only thing I think about 24 seven. And I'm either having anxiety beforehand about what I'm going to eat or guilt afterwards for what I ate, like then you're probably not at that place where you've maybe earned the right to be in a cut. You've, you've established maintenance uh, enough to be able to say, okay, I'm going to go do something else because I know I can come back to this afterwards. I love that. It's like such a great way to be truly in tune with your body. Because I think a lot of people do want the metrics and the data and they want to be measuring this and they want to be tracking that. But really for that sustainable health, fitness, nutrition, body composition changes over time, it really is getting super in tune with your body and not feeling like you have anxiety around food or your next meal or feeling hungry all the time. Yeah. What I would say just to, just to play our, our own devil's advocate is yeah. that that probably isn't intuitive at the start. And if there is some like, I mean, being straight up, there's definitely going to be a period where I'm like, you're not good at this yet. And so we need to put those barriers up. We probably need some added structure and you know, the goal probably for most people, not everyone, but most people is probably eventually going to bring those structures down a little bit and say, okay, you've tracked for several months at maintenance, you know, kind of generally what sort of eating pattern leads you to this place. You under, you understand that, you know, you had a high carb meal, you weigh two pounds the next day that it, it'll wash out, that you're not feeling anxious or, or guilty after that. And you've gone through some of this period of maybe a little bit more detail, a little bit more scrutiny, but it, for, for most people, 90 plus percent of people, it's going to be about getting to that point and being able to very gently peel back the layers of how much attention to detail you're using. Yeah. Absolutely. So I work with a lot of different pregnant postpartum athletes, as you know, and a lot of them are identifying as pregnant or postpartum athletes because they have a history of being really athletic, of valuing fitness, of being very in tune with their body, 
probably pretty aware of what their nutrition habits are like across a spectrum, right? So we're maybe some people are really rigid and extreme around their fitness and nutrition habits. And maybe people are a little bit looser, but a lot of these athletes are entering this season in their fitness and their life nutrition where things are just different. And it is so hard to make some of those accommodations, at least from a nutrition and training standpoint. So do you have any advice on that? In terms of people like postpartum, like trying to return back yeah, to Yeah, just like entering this season where it's okay for your nutrition and training to look like. I just like talking to other trainers who are used to coaching people kind of across this spectrum through different transitional periods. So I'd love to get your, your intake. Yeah, I'm on the conservative side. I think it's, I think I would, if somebody said, hey, like day one, we need to start immediately working back on body comp, get, you know, get your pre-pregnancy body back. Like I'd probably slap that person. And if somebody else was like, you don't need to do anything. You're not allowed to, you know, pursue body composition changes. You're just supposed to accept that life is just different and do nothing about it. I also slap that person metaphorically, of course. And so it's somewhere in the middle of like, you're allowed to have body composition goals, but I think we need to be, I think this is a new season of life and we need to accept the things that we can't change and also put into perspective and set up some structure around the stuff that you can change. And I also, I guess this is, will turn out to be a bit of a ramble, but I think there's nothing wrong with having aesthetic goals. I think at the end of the day, what are we doing here? We're trying to live our best life. And I think aesthetic goals play some part in that, you know, being generally, let's say, let's say maybe just being fit, uh, maybe less from like a, what do I look like more from like a, what's my level of fitness? What can I do with my body? I think that is absolutely part of your best life. And so if, you know, if you're like, Hey, I want to get in shape because that's going to improve my life in a, you know, several ways, potentially, I think that that's totally fine. So I think a lot of people out there, like there's nothing wrong with you wanting to get back to, or improve the shape that you're in at any stage, and especially this stage. But I, I am on the more conservative side of things. And I think I don't want to, you know, sound like a broken record, but I do think reestablishing yourself at maintenance is a really good idea. I can imagine going through pregnancy is a massive trauma slash hormonal event, right? And so after that, to me, it just doesn't seem right to do anything other than establish that quote maintenance or that home base or that foundation again first, you might obviously have better facts and figures of like, how long until hormonally are you back to maybe what you were prior or never again, will you be? But to me, I'd I'd say, well, let's treat this as if you've come out of a deficit or come out of some traumatic experience where like, let's establish a good foundation first, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I just try to encourage just like establishing a healthy habits baseline, even before looking at numbers, before we're saying, okay, oh my God, I gained 50 pounds and, or like obsessing over that during pregnancy is what we see a lot too, is where people are like, oh, I don't want to gain over 30 pounds because then it's going to be so hard to lose it. But like, there's just so many different variables that influence weight gain during pregnancy and the rate in which it falls off postpartum. But I think that's such a really, it's a hard mental thing for people to see. So then they become really desperate to kind of take some dramatic measures immediately postpartum of like, okay, well, I'm I can't have bread and I must do this. And I must kind of like be within this 1200 calories or something. Like they just find this really low amount, but that backfires in so many ways for healing purposes, for um, breastfeeding and for just like the overall like season of life you're in. Like it's already hard. You're not sleeping. You're adjusting to this new life. So to add the stress of going into a deficit, that doesn't make sense, but that is what we're sold. We're also sold the extreme end of things. So I think that there's like a, a moment of like an equal and opposite reaction. You're like, well, I've gained a ton of weight over the short period of time. And then thus I must do something equal and opposite in the extreme end to get rid of it. And the irony is like, 
I always say like the long way is actually the short way. And if you take the long way, you probably take it once and you probably find that it's very sustainable afterwards instead of multiple runs at an attempt at a shortcut, which inevitably kind of is a, a sort of a hamster wheel in that regard where you kind of end up where you started. And so instead of, you know, years of somewhat yo-yo dieting, fad dieting, riding the trend, trying to do something extreme, it's like, well, maybe spend a foundational several months at maintenance trying to, like you said, establish healthy habits, get back to your exercise routine in a gradual fashion. The irony of all of this is like, yes, we're talking about building a good foundation, a good maintenance, but like that is actually, my opinion, the single greatest predictor for your success in a deficit. Like yep. if you can actually get yourself hormonally and habitually and psychologically to a really sound place, like you will be more successful in a cut. If you're like, I feeling like very like edge of the cliff, very, I need to get this right now. Like I need to get rid of it right now. Like I'm not betting on that person succeeding. I'm betting on them doing, like you said, probably something that that is being marketed to that person, which is something extreme instead of saying, Hey, like this might not be the right time or mental state for us to be kind of attacking something fairly extreme right now. You know, we see like on social media where you're kind of shamed for wanting to change your body, or you're also shamed for not getting your body back. Like it's like this lose, lose with from marketing to just different social media accounts that say, well, six week cut, get your body back flat abs or whatever. So that's kind of like shady gross marketing. And the other side is on almost like under this umbrella of body positivity of like, well, just love and accept your body for what it is, which like, yes, yes. And if you have athletic or aesthetic goals, like you shouldn't be shamed for that either. So trying to find that messy middle, I think is really hard. And I think over the last couple of years, I've seen a significant shift of like, you're either in this camp or you're in this camp. And I think with most things, the answer's usually right in the middle there. Yeah, I always found it a little ironic of, again, I think there's a lot of the body positivity side that I 100% agree with. I've done a podcast where like the first half hour is like total agreement. But I always found it ironic of like the same people who are all about positivity are also shaming at the same time people for doing something else. It doesn't sound very positive to me of like this, like, love yourself. It's okay. I'm doing something positive that somebody believes is positive for themselves. And those people are shaming them. doesn't sound very positive, but you're hundred percent right. There's like, there's way more money in, in shaming people in one direction or the other. I mean, there's like a, it's not the body positivity also will have an agenda. I think in some regard on the extreme end. And of course the marketing side of get your body back in six weeks has its own agenda. I think that what's funny is like, those people are just the extremes that they exist in a smaller frequency than we think. I think there's less numbers of people who really feel that way. But I think most people sit with you and me in this conversation. They're like, yeah, I totally agree. It's, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, and so it's important that we do have these conversations because people are probably bombarded with the extremes. And so just kind of layering out that like, this is all about achieving your best life and aesthetic goals or body composition goals or fitness goals. Like they are a part of that. You are allowed to pursue it. But if you're honest with yourself, which is a difficult thing to do sometimes and like real take a good a good stock of your like where these wants are coming from and is this a, really about me living my best life or is this me about meeting some societal standard or is this me fighting some childhood trauma like those are things that obviously a little bit deeper that we want to discuss but i face value if you have somebody telling you okay body composition goal bad love yourself and not do anything about it good like okay just like hopefully you can kind of understand like that sort of absolute language just by definition probably isn't right most correct yeah yeah, I absolutely agree. I think there's just a lot of like, you're either on this team or you're on this team. And what I tell all of my pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coaches is like, you just got to learn how to support the person in front of you. They're coming to you for advice. So if they want to do a marathon, how can you help them do that? If they want to lose 10 pounds and feel better in their body so their knees don't hurt every time they sit down and stand up, like, how can you help them do that? Like, almost take your own agenda and own bias and all of our own issues, set them aside 
and then delivered for the person in front of us. I don't always have to agree with what they want to do, but if they're coming to me for help, how can I do my best to actually support them? Agree. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So scenario, we have somebody who is postpartum. Maybe she's three months postpartum now. So she's kind of acclimated a little bit to having her baby around. Uh, Her hormones are starting to regulate a little bit, but still very, very different body. And she wants to start making some healthier choices to start losing a little bit of body fat. What is a great starting point for somebody like that? Again, again, not like a broken record. It's probably not to do a deficit. It's probably to establish some some form of maintenance. And so honestly, like let's assume we have two camps of people that one are going to, whom tracking is a, a tool that will work for them. I think that that's a fine option if you're honest with yourself about does this match up with, you know, do the pros outweigh the cons? Is the juice worth the squeeze for me to track? Or can I at least start by, you know, it depends how, how far have you strayed from maybe what your habits were pre-pregnancy. And you're like, hey, let me get back to like that breakfast I was eating. Let me, let me get back to the type of food shopping that I was doing. Let me get back to Hopefully you're not enjoying too much like post-pregnancy alcohol where you're just like on a bender, you know, like where it is just like something that you've been missing for a long time. But maybe it's, maybe that's a time where, okay, maybe I, I did that for a bit. And obviously not everyone does that. I'm just thinking right. of one client that we were laughing about this on, on a call. She's like, right, I'm done with that phase and I'm on to the next one. So certainly establishing some of those day-to-day habits. I personally don't have an issue if you express to me that you genuinely want to track. Now I, I have a my opinion on tracking, just so we can like set the stage, because I do believe that those are two different answers. If you're tracking, it's very simple. Hey, let's track and maintenance for long enough for you to feel good, establish some good habits, psychologically get in a good place. And then sure, maybe there, we can talk about doing cut. And so I, I just believe very strongly if, if the tracking is only going to be its most useful, if you could also survive without it. So I have no problem with clients who want to track forever. If you That's how you want. The problem is you're not going to track every day forever. You need to be able to pull back from that and fine doing so like track things anything in life is going to be less helpful or less positive if you're doing it because you feel like you have to because you can't live without it that scenario i can't have that and so if we're going to track we're also going to practice not tracking we're going to practice when and where to pull back we're going to practice when to lean in and say okay we need a little bit more detail we're going to say okay you're going away for a long weekend like screw this like take a step back let's work on basic principles and so it's more it needs to be like threaded into alongside habits that can allow you to survive without it for sure. Right. No, I love that approach because it really is like that all or something. Like you don't have to be all in and really teaching how to have an awareness of what's going into your body, how much food you need to feel good or to lose or to gain whatever you need, but not being so mentally dependent on it. Cause I know that's where we, it becomes a really slippery slope. And when you're postpartum, like we're already so vulnerable to wanting, I feel like for me, I'll speak personally and also kind of on behalf of a lot of athletes I've worked with. It's really, it's a slippery slope to falling into disordered eating and disordered exercise habits because you have this justification to yourself of like, well, God, like, why do I look like my stomach just is not what it should look like? Or I have more cellulite than I used to, or my arms are bigger, or my boobs are bigger, or my face is so puffy now. And so much of that kind of levels out over time anyway. But in the trenches, we are desperate to create change. And it just becomes a really slippery slope when you maybe are somebody who is already kind of inclined to that way of operating anyway. I think a lot of times people will say, okay, I messed up or I, something like you can imagine that person who's like, okay, my, my face is bigger. My boobs are bigger. My stomach is bigger. I weigh more. That's like, it could be akin to somebody who's like, okay, I came back from vacation and I'm feeling heavier and I'm, I'm bloated. And, and a lot of times like, 
maintenance fixes all of that stuff anyway. A lot of that weight that you think you've gained, like if you go back to sleeping, I know that you're as a new parent that that's not always optimal, but potentially sleep improves. Maybe your activity levels go up. Maybe you do go back to training and that gets more rigorous over time. Um, just doing that stuff at maintenance calories. Like I just think that a lot of people think they need to suffer. And if you honestly, if you just get back on a normal trend of healthy habits of sleeping, eating enough protein, getting back to training, maybe, you know, doing a little bit more cardiovascular activity, even just getting some more steps, potentially sleeping more. I think that that maintenance does a lot of that. A lot of people would be surprised at where the needle moves if they just went back to maintenance. And the irony is like that costs very little going to maintenance is your best life. And so a lot of people are like, well, I'll, I'll get better results in a cut. I'm like, you know, technically you will lose more weight in a cut, but it's actually going to cost you discomfort. Why not get these like super easy gains, so to speak over here at maintenance, feeling really great during a time where you, you probably want to be feeling good because you have other life stressors that are, you know, new and crying and shitting in your life. And so, you know, there's definitely something to be said about like maintenance fixes a lot of this stuff. Anyway, chances are you'd be super happy six months from now. If you spend all of them at maintenance, focused on getting those habits back, sleep back, getting back to your activity, getting back to your workouts. Like I mean, there's a huge psychological component of like, yeah, sure. You might not look exactly the way you looked before. And that might make you feel a certain way, but there is something, I know it sounds a little woo woo, but like just getting back to the gym and the endorphins that can come from that and the adrenaline that can come from that. And the positive feeling of getting back to doing what you were doing, like that that'll buy you a lot of time, frankly, to, to live a really good life at maintenance, which will be really beneficial. I think. God, I just hundred percent agree. And that's what I really try to encourage a lot of my athletes, almost regardless of what their aesthetic or performance goals are, is just how can you add to your life in a way that feels really good? I know you keep kind of coming back to like living your best life. Like what's going to help you do that? What's going to help you pursue a lifetime of athleticism and fitness sustainably? Because when people are doing cuts or really depriving themselves mentally and physically, they're just so much more prone for injury or again, that slippery slope of mental health during this vulnerable season of their training. So how can we add water? How can we add some steps? How can we add more protein, focusing on adding instead of taking away because it's that desperation to almost cut aspects of their life, not just calories is it's there and it is strong and it is loud. I think one of the, one of the things I would say to clients is that like, if you're planning on doing cut and you hoping to be successful, like you need to understand two things. One, that this cut is voluntary and two, that this cut is temporary. And that's easy to say. And it's easy for us to be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Voluntary. I'm doing it to myself. I'm choosing to do this and I can back out any time if it doesn't, pros don't match the cons, whatever. And that it's temporary where you understand that this is not the trade-offs that you're making this cut aren't forever. It's okay. Everyone listening is like nodding along. Oh, I get that. It is really difficult for that to actually manifest and conceptualize and to, to be meaningful if you haven't established maintenance first. Like you just knowing that it's voluntary doesn't matter if you don't like the point of knowing it's voluntary is for you to be able to say, you know what, the last six months that I spent crushing life at maintenance, living my best life, I know that the next 12 weeks are a blip on the radar and that I'm going to go back to this really great life. But if you have not established that, then it is really difficult for you to be like, oh, this cuts only 12 weeks. Well, you don't have a good view of what week 13 looks like. It's harder for you to go into something that kind of sucks on some level without knowing how great it will be afterwards because you have to establish that. And to know that it's voluntary, okay, great. Have you first established the fact that you can, if you want, do something else? Because if you're always stuck in the fat loss mindset and you have not established like the confidence that you can live at maintenance, then you are doing this because you don't know what else to do. So if you have established that really awesome life at maintenance first, 
you will be more successful because of all the physiological reasons, your hunger hormones and the relationship with food and all of those things. But also because you'll be able to conceptualize that like I'm doing this because I want to, and it's not forever. And the trade-offs I'm making are not forever. And I'm going to go back to my really great life afterwards. But if you haven't established that, it's really, really difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So for those who just really don't want to track calories really consistently, what are some helpful ways for determining what maintenance looks like for them or potentially what cutting like in a small way could look like for them if they're not really keen to, to track meticulously? Yeah. For starters, understanding that what you're doing is in, in, in creating an indirect, obviously calories still exist, whether you're counting them or not. So you're mm -hmm. trying to establish some structure, some boundaries that will indirectly lead you to a certain calorie amount that you're trying to eat. And so some of the good ways to do that probably are from a meal composition standpoint. I think some combination of meal composition and getting in touch with your satiety cues. And I find that to be counterintuitive for a lot of people who have never not tracked. Obviously, tracking can kind of take you away from that to some degree. Now, there are times where that that's an end that is justified by the means and you're okay with that. But I do think that this is an opportunity if you have somebody who's not tracking to really double down on paying attention to that. Um, but also meal composition is going to be huge, upping protein intake, uh, upping servings of vegetables, obviously just increasing fiber intake. And whether you're counting it or not, you can do servings of, you can do palm sizes. I definitely am big on meal composition for my clients who are not tracking, getting a protein and a plant on. I mean, honestly, if you're my client listening, you know, I've just drilled this into your head of like, when you're building a meal, like start with a protein and a plant. Like you, it's hard to go wrong after that. You've already gotten ahead from a satiety standpoint. Those are going to be the two most satiating things, some form of fiber and high volume vegetables, some high satiety and obviously the muscle building benefits of protein. And like, if you have mac and cheese on that plate too, it's cool. But you've probably already gotten a lot of the plate towards some of the satiety, some of this nutrition, the boxes that want to get checked. And so definitely starting each meal with a protein and a plant is like, can go a really, really long way. The problem with some of these rules is like, okay, where's the rule? Like the, the place where flexible macro counting reigns supreme is like, where do I draw the line of how much I'm going to indulge with some of the stuff that doesn't fall into that camp. And so that's, that's something that you communicate with your coach of like, okay, I, I'm, we need to be in a place where we know that some is okay. And that the last supper mentality of like, I can never have this is probably not the mentality you want to have. And there's some practice element of that. I think for some people saying no to stuff is really good progress psychologically. And for other people saying yes to stuff and not feeling guilty about it and not eating the entire box of cookies and having two or three or one or whatever is also progress. So that's something I would work together with a coach, like which one of those two things is going to, and of course, it's not always one or the other, which one of those things in certain circumstances is going to cause more growth for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, God, so much of body composition change is just purely behavior change. And like there's a lot of awareness of psychology and your relationship with food and movement in your body. It's, I mean, we complicate it though, don't you think? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, it's, it's not as much as intuitive eating is a thing. Right. In, intuitive body composition changes is not, you know, it is not in today's 2021 food environment. It's not into, if we're left to our own devices, like our genetics are not predisposed for us to maintain our weight in this sort of environment. So there's some level of cognitive restraint that will always be required. If you're trying to change body composition, obviously where you fall on the spectrum of how, you know, how ambitious your goals are, is going to dictate like how detailed you need to be. Right. So much value here. Do you have any other body composition tips that you would give to somebody who's trying to do it in a like truly healthy way? Yeah, I would probably not go with a very extreme deficit. I mean, I think that that hopefully goes without saying like choose a more moderate deficit. Now I'm not against, I think physiologically, there's nothing wrong with 
more extreme diving. I'll just go on the record there. But I think practically, I think that if I have to bet on two people, I'm betting on the more moderate person 99 out of 100 times. I also think that taking stock of your recovery in terms of what style of training that you do. And so, you know, body composition, if if we break that down into like, okay, I want to be lean and I want to be able to see some muscle. Okay. Well then maybe not, you know, doing a ton of distance running or maybe looking for more resistance training, maybe even going a step further and saying, okay, I'm going to lift specifically for hypertrophy. And then also, I mean, I don't know how much in the weeds you want to get, but I would probably personally take at least a look at how much high intensity work you're doing. I do think that the deficit is oftentimes a stressor enough. And if we're even breaking it further down into somebody who's postpartum might not be getting optimal sleep and probably has some other life stressors. I mean, that stress bucket might be already close to full. I don't think jacking it up with eight Peloton classes a week. If you're a CrossFit athlete, I know that you do, you do quite a bit of CrossFit. I don't know if that's correct or not, but I, don't, I, would I just say, coach a lot of people that do. Yeah. yeah. That, <laughs> there you go. I would take a look and make sure that that's not something that's working against you. I think letting the stress on your body come from the deficit and then utilizing lower intensity options in terms of exercise, whether that's hypertrophy style training and walking versus like, I'm going to do a ton of hit and a ton of Metcons. Like that's usually not a recipe for success, I guess. Right. So for people that are not super familiar with these terms, what is hypertrophy type training? Yeah. The goal of hypertrophy is to bring a single muscle tissue close to failure within a certain wide hypertrophy rep range of like five to 30. So if you're doing hypertrophy, more basic style hypertrophy training, you're probably doing something simple in the five to 20 rep range, straight sets, enough rest that you can bring the target muscle close to failure. So it's not something where you're like, okay, I'm doing 10 thrusters, 10 burpees over the bar, eight wall balls, and then farmer walk. You know, it's probably like, okay, I'm doing a set of eight to 12 and then resting two to four minutes long enough for everything, my CNS, my, my muscle tissue, my cardiovascular system to come back to baseline so that I can do that again. The goal being growing that muscle tissue, obviously it becomes stronger as well, but technically hypertrophy, the goal is muscle growth. If we look at it on a spectrum, CrossFit and might be over on a little bit more metabolic side, a little bit more of metabolic conditioning side, hypertrophy would be on the other side, a little bit longer rest, a little bit heavier weight. Yeah, I guess not true because CrossFit is a ton of different modalities. And so, um, yeah, that might be a decent definition. No, I think it's, it's good for people to have an idea of like, well, there's like lifting and there's ways to manipulate how you lift and then there's conditioning and there's ways to manipulate how you condition and then finding out like what level of stress works best for your body at any given point in time. You know, so if it's fat loss, you're saying that you would promote some of the hypertrophy training along with some like lower level cardio. Yeah, definitely. I didn't know how biased I would sound on the podcast. I'm in in vastly in favor for mostly hypertrophy style training, especially if the goal is body composition. I think if you're in a cut, it's the thing that will maintain the muscle the best. If you're looking to actively change the way you look based on having more muscle, then it is the thing that creates the most muscle growth. Um, it's also, if you look across the different modalities that you could do, let's say, you know, the comparison with CrossFit is just one that's top of mind because CrossFit does have a a large metabolic conditioning component, but it's one that will create slightly less stress on the body. And so it is something that's probably more tolerable in a deficit and probably in general with, with it, with a population that is walking around most of the time more inflamed than we probably should, uh, with nutrition that could be better. And so to layer on top of that, like, I'll pick on orange theory, like 10 orange, seven orange theories a week, which is more inflammatory, let's say, than doing, you know, three to four hypertrophy style sessions um, would be the way I would go for sure in a deficit, but also just changing body composition in general, because part of that body composition 
equation is the presence of more muscle. And that's literally what hypertrophy training does. Yeah. Right. And you know, it's something I say a lot to the moms at coaches, like more doesn't always mean better when we're thinking about like kind of stressing this already stressed system that's trying to heal, trying to make progress, trying to acclimate. And now you are pushing the intensity so hard, or you're pushing the frequency of your workout so much that you're not ever truly recovering. That's, that's really hard for your body right now, especially if your goal exists over here. <laughs> yeah, agree. Definitely. I think that you, the worst is you might even encounter uh, somebody layering on like low carb on top of super high intensity training. And yeah, I mean, that's just like a big ball of inflammation for the most part. And so usually not the best idea. Um, I, we could throw that on there. Yeah. Oh God. Well, I mean, when we think about what we have been told, I think traditionally, maybe as non-coaches, maybe we know better, but I think the majority of the population has been told eat less, move more, don't eat carbs. I have like all of these rigid rules, maybe eat 1200 calories a day. And so if you are a person who's now like, well, God, like, I don't like how I feel. I want to look different. And these are my options to choose from. So it's like really hard when we, all of those thought processes have been drilled in our head. We don't know better. Yeah. I'm not to oversimplify things, but it's like eat enough protein, probably eat a a moderate calorie deficit, lift something relatively heavy that has the goal of preserving muscle, sleep enough and enough patience. And you can definitely see not easy, but it doesn't need to be, doesn't need to be so hard. The idea, it doesn't need to be Rocky Balboa, like in the doing lunges with, you know, the, the, the tree on his back and the, in the, in Russia or whatever, like you don't need to be dying and sweating and exhausted and, and irritable and miserable through your cut. I mean, or through just in general in life, that's not what it costs. It should not cost that. Yes. It costs lifestyle trade-offs for sure, but it shouldn't cost misery. Right. Oh, I love that. I think that's such a great way to wrap up the podcast. Jordan, thank you so much for spending your time with us today and for sharing so much of your knowledge and perspective. I know that it's going to help a lot of people. Where can we find you? Yeah. So uh, Instagram is the best place to find me. You guys can always find me in the DMs. My Instagram is Jordan Lips Fitness. I also have a podcast that Brianna was on, which is wonderful. It's called Where Optimal Meets Practical. And soon I will have a group programming service coming out. So you guys will hear more about that probably via Instagram. So thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Have a good one. You too. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you are a postpartum athlete and you're really trying to figure out what next, what does my return to fitness look like? What do I do about my core, my pelvic floor? How do I get back into the movements I want to do in a way that I feel really confident about? I have you covered because I know exactly what it's like to be where you are as a coach, as an athlete, and as a mom. So I want you to download six exercises for the first six weeks postpartum. It's a free resource and it just goes over everything that I think is really important to take into consideration during those early weeks postpartum. Now, if you're ready to begin more of an exercise program, say you've been cleared by your doctor or midwife, I have a eight week postpartum athlete training program, which acts as the perfect entry back into fitness, into the gym, into the kind of movement that you want to do where it's still respecting the changes your body has gone through and how your baby was delivered, but it really helps connect your rehab into the kind of fitness that you want to do in a way that's relatable and fun and exactly what your body needs right now on behalf of your long-term function and performance.